RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to episode number seven of the Fight HQ podcast with Pete Rogers Jr. I am Jason Foy. Pete, how you doing on this Monday evening, man? What's going on, man? Uh, what a great weekend of fights. Uh, you know, it's like fights every single week. I love it. And, uh, you know, we have a, another great card, probably one of the most pivotal matchups for the 185 pound division coming up. And, uh, you know, they've been hyping this thing up for quite, quite some time, Jason. I keep forgetting when the date is because it's like, man, for like three months straight, they've been hyping this thing up. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's finally here. UFC 253 going Saturday. Israel Adesanya taking on Paulo Acosta. Looking forward to that. Just uh, you know, I was talking to our people over at Osmo a little earlier today, and so I just popped over DraftKings. Just noticed their big GPP 100K to first place. So uh, some big, big money up for grabs here this weekend. Of course, we'll be on Osmo on Wednesday night for the strategy show, and then uh, Saturday one hour before the fight starts, we'll have live before lock over there, so you can check us out over there throughout this week. Week, but of course, so we're here to break down what uh, what we saw happen over the last couple of days. Of course, we did a show on Thursday of last week where we talked about Michael Chandler. Of course, now being a UFC fighter, he's now the backup plan for UFC 254 with him. Uh, you know, in there in case Khabib or Justin Caichi does not make it to fight night, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see what happens there. I mean, uh, I know Chandler's been kind of on the the interview trail the past couple of days, and uh, you know, look, he, he's always a confident fighter. That's the one thing about uh, about Michael Chandler. You know, he's going to be a very confident fighter. But you know, Pete, there were some things that happened last Saturday night in Las Vegas at the fight night card, and uh, you know, the first thing I want to touch on is what happened in the Jessica Rose Clark and Sarah Alpa fight particularly in the third round where there is a, a beautiful knee that jessica rose clark lands real time it's like oh was that illegal was it not illegal you go to the replay and it's a clearly a legal knee the referee chris tyone who has been in a lot of these positions over the past couple of weeks with questionable calls that he has made and he decides that uh, he he thought it was an illegal strike. I don't think he ever officially went to instant replay, but he saw the replay on the big screens there, and he realized it was a legal shot. And then he just goes to Sarah Alpar, hey, can you go? Are you effing kidding me, Pete? That was a fight-ending shot. Like, fight's over. Like, and now, and so if like, you're just, like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, if you're Jessica Rose Clark, you know, standing across the cage, you're seeing this replay. You just realized someone who has not had a finish in the UFC had not had a finish since 2014. She just lands this beautiful strike. And because the referee doesn't see it that way, the fight continues. Now she's got to beat up Sarah Alpar for another two minutes. So I love to get your take on this thing. First off, as a fighter. Take me, if you are Jessica Rose Clark, what is going through your mind? Well, I mean, you know, great performance from Jessica Rose Clark. And uh, she throws the knee as it looks like Sarah Alpar is about to to start sitting to her butt. And when it finally lands, it's like bang, bang. And, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to tell what came first, but it looked like the knee slightly landed just before her, uh, her bottom hit the mat. And then she kind of was like propped up. But if I'm Jessica Rose Clark... You know, the referee didn't say anything about it being illegal initially. So, you know, you immediately are about to go hop on. But, you know, he stops the fight and you're like, oh, man. Okay, so maybe it was illegal. And uh, as you're sitting there, you, you look at the replay and you notice, man, okay, it was it was clean. 
and um, you're thinking, okay, fight's over because if you go to instant replay, it should automatically be done. You know, uh, that's what it is in the written rules. And uh, the ref, you know, poor Chris Ione. It's like he's really been flustered ever since that one big screw up. And you can tell like the nerves gets, you know, got the best of him in that situation. Does not excuse what he did by any means. And, you know, basically restarted in that position. Now, you can't restart somebody in that because guess what? That's a fight ending sequence. I just need you in the face and busted her up. Um, and, you know, I could have laid ground and pound and easily got the stoppage there. But, um, you know, because it was such a bang-bang play, so to speak, you pull me off. Now I have to restart and I have to work towards a finish of basically what I already had. So it's it's not like, um, you know, it's not like you're resuming a grappling position because that's the only times where you'll see a referee stop the action, you know, put the mouthpiece in somebody's mouth or – take a point away and then put them back in the position where they were. You can't do that in this situation when it's a strike ending sequence like that. But thank goodness Jessica Rose Clark was able to go in there and put all that BS to the side and work towards a finish and ultimately get it. Because if Sarah Alpar somehow got out of that and somehow turned the tides and, and, uh, and uh, you know, work towards victory, I think that Dana White would have threw a chair in the octagon or something because that, that would have, you know, that would have been the worst possible situation ever. You know, as that fight whole sequence happened, I tweeted that if I'm Mark Radner, who runs regulatory affairs for the UFC, used to at one time was the Nevada Athletic Commission executive director. So he, he is the person that is dealing with the commissions. Like to me, I walk over to Bob Bennett. I walk over to Anthony Marnell and go, that guy ain't reffinated more tonight. We've now had multiple weeks in a row of this where it's inconsistency. And I know from the conversations we've had, conversations I had with other fighters, the one thing they always say to me is, as long as a ref is consistent with what they do, I can live with that. It's the inconsistency that I can't live with. If I rail on my opponent for a round, and if they're able to come back in, in the next round and rail on me, you better give me the same leeway you gave my opponent. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like an umpire in baseball having the same, you know, strike zone throughout the game. And, uh, you know, everybody, every umpire has a, has a different strike zone. So once you can really learn what that, how that umpire operates, similar to how a ref operates of what you can get away with, and what you can't, uh, you know, then you can start to really get a feel for what you should be doing, what you should not be doing in the octagon. And, uh, you know, granted, if I knock somebody down and I'm going to town for him, you know, going to town on him for a minute or whatnot, and he didn't stop the fight. And then say I get dropped and, you know, receive a few punches and the fight is stopped. Of course, I'm going to be upset because I didn't get my fair, you know, fair shake of that. And uh, consistency is key for anything. Right. I mean, or, you know, you have to be consistent or you have, have to be able to justify your actions. And I think that's something you always bring up as if, you know, you wish that referees, judges could explain themselves a little bit. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't cast with such a negative light that they could be in there and be like, look, I scored it this way because this is what I was viewing and this is what I thought. Um, and then if obviously that reasoning does not add up to what actually happened, then you can have the review board or the commission look at it or go further with with everything. So um, I wouldn't mind hearing from officials like that or hearing, you know, miss people miss calls all the time in any sport. Um, but like if you're a referee, you have to know what you can and cannot do. And I think referees and judges, well, referees get confused 
based on the inconsistencies amongst commissions. You have Nevada doing this. You got whatever Alabama doing. You know what I mean? You have all different all different areas of the country doing different things and what they're allowing. What you know, if you go to replay here, we don't allow replay. It's a it's one hand down now. Now it's two hands down. It's very confusing. I mean, it just needs to be standard all the way across. Confusing is a great word to bring up in terms of the rules because we have the current rules of MMA. Nevada essentially has they they took the current unified rules of MMA, put their own spin on it. It's called the hybrid rules of MMA. And you know, like I tweeted this whole one of my other tweets about this situation was Nevada Athletic Commission. When will you learn? If you have instant replay, use it. Like that is my big thing. Is like it, it's. Ultimately, as we, when we think about other sports, you know, whether we're talking about the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, they use these type of situations as a learning experience. How do we grow? And we've talked about this before where we need transparency when it comes to the commission. I think there are some commissioners that want to bring transparency to the fight game. There's, but I think a majority of commissions, we just don't get the transparency. And, and so to me, that's like, I look at it and say, once that, that shot happened, let's just go to replay. There is no reason replay should be a fight. It, the fight's over once you go to replay. That's BS. All these commissions need to get rid of that. You should be able to go to replay at any moment. Now, there's certain times I think you just can't go to it, but that's a perfect example of that can go to replay. You should have gone to replay, looked at that, and said, you know what? Fight's over. Fight's over. She's yeah. done. And I also look at this, and of course, you corner you corner your own fighters. Of I look at Sarah Alpar's corner. How do you look at that? Look the way she's getting beat up and go, let's keep her out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you bring up great points. And the instant replay ending the fight is, I, I think, the reason why no referee goes to that, you know, as a tool. No no referee wants to be like, well, I mean, I'm kind of – my back's against the wall. If I, I do want to look at replay, but I don't want the fight to end, so hopefully I was right on it and – uh that needs to be eliminated because they need to develop an instant replay rule. Obviously, like if I'm beating the brakes off of you, Jason, they can't just call time because, you know, I will not be able to have that same situation occur. The momentum of the fight, there has to be like, uh, I don't know, little little times when you can do it. So like a break in the action is something I would think of. Um uh, a situation where a significant strike or a significant um, technique was implemented illegally that could, uh, you know, affect the course of the fight. Something that could significantly affect or impact the result of the fight of what it should be. And then, you know, we can start working around it and go to the replay immediately because go to the replay, see what it is, and then make a determination. It, it, you know, the game's not over when you go to replay. Um, you know, as far as the corner of Sarah Alpar, Obviously, you want your fighter to go out there and perform, and uh, this is her opportunity. But I mean, she's she's fairly young. She's uh, she's 29. Um, maybe she's had a very tough road to get here, and maybe she's had a, you know a long talk with her coaches that no matter what, she wants to go out there and be able to have her full effort. But when you're that young, I mean, you know, live to fight another day, Jason. All those shots that you're taking on the face and to the brain, you can't get those shots back, and um, you know, it could significantly affect her going forward in the future and put a big, uh, you know, could, you know, negatively impact her career for the rest of time. 
I wonder, you know, and I don't know whether people inside the UFC or if this was a Bellator fight, if they would be publicly with, with their thoughts or whatnot. But I do wonder, you know, when you, when you look at the, the management of the UFC, do they look at that situation and go, man, is this going to end badly? And, and I mentioned this question to you before we start doing the show. We'll mention it here on the show. If you're fighting in three weeks in Vegas or you're cornering someone who's fighting in Vegas in three weeks. You know Chris Tyone is scheduled to work the event. I'm your manager. What do you tell me to do? Well, I think if you're my manager, I wouldn't have to worry about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it would be a very uneasy feeling. Um, you know, I've definitely had some fights of mine where I'm like, I, I got this guy. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it shouldn't really matter. Um Obviously, it does, but um, you know it, you can't always pick everything. And uh, I think at the UFC level, you definitely can. You know, we talked about this last time that you could definitely influence the commission of, of getting a better option. But um, you know, I, I think that most of the fighters just kind of go with it and just roll with it and uh, trust the commission. And that that could be a problem as you start to go to different areas. I mean, they're all in Vegas right now, so it should be as consistent as possible because I would like to say that Vegas should be like the mecca of rules, mecca of uh, mixed martial arts, mecca of you know combat sports if you think about it. And uh, the way things have been going, not so much. No, it, it's not the mecca of, of uh, the, the evolution of right. mixed martial arts. And I think that's, that's about the best word. Do want to mention this tweet that we got from uh, Hunter. He says, he goes, I've tried to lead you down a certain path, flawed scoring system, poor referee judgment, etc. These things are true and yet exploitable from the standpoint of gaining viewer interest to say that these things need to change, i.e. Never, there'll never be a 10-10. It's the same thing, being a loudmouth jerk like on TV, Steven, or whatever. Um, you know, look, I, I, this is my thing about the scoring system is, and, and I've talked to regulators about this. The biggest thing with them has been is present a system that is better. I'm not saying the 10, nine system is the correct system for mixed martial arts. Um, I, I think there's flaws in the system. I think that look at the end of the day, referees and judges are human. We all make mistakes. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me is more of we just don't hear exactly like it, it right now. Chris Tyone should not should not be working UFC events. And and, and this is I, I, I've never met the guy, never talked to the guy, but it's just based on the past couple of weeks. I just don't feel he should be working. And, and, and I think it ultimately comes down to is we need more high level referees and and in this COVID world, I don't know how we get more high quality referees because at the end of the day, to become a high level referee, you need reps. It's it's no different than Pete. You're in the gym. You got to get reps on the heavy bag. You got to get reps in sparring. You got to get reps of, of different training partners. And to me, it's like I look at it and say is when we think of high level referees, there are referees that we see all the time the Herb Deans of the world. One of the guys I believe should be getting more UFC fights but has not is Mike Beltron, works primarily in California. 
He's done a couple of Bellator events recently. Um, you know, a, a guy that you're familiar with, I believe Brian Myers should be getting some more opportunities at, at big shows. Um, I, I know Mike Mazzulli uses him for the Bellator events here internationally and, and uh, domestically and internationally. I think he's a, a judge that should get more opportunities. You know, obviously, Big Dan there in the U.S., he gets it. Keith Peterson gets some, some opportunities as well. But to me, I think there's other officials out there that they just need opportunities to show that they are one of the best MMA referees out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think we'll start seeing more of them. I think Jason Herzog's another great referee that we've been seeing. Um, of course, my boy Brian Miner is is the top of my list. Um, but uh, you know, I would love to see these guys move on to the bigger and best shows. Um, the UFC doesn't really come over towards New England too often, though, Jason. And I think that's kind of why we're not seeing some of the guys that I know on the big shows as much as they should be. Um, you know, it's they're in Vegas a lot, of course, now. But outside of the, the occasional Boston card, the UFC is really not over in this area. But you're in Fight Island. It's a self-regulated event. Yeah. They could very easily pick up the phone. And call an official that's been on their radar. And, because, look, first off, Mark Ryder's having conversations with every single regulator across the country. And he, I'm sure part of that conversation is, is that, hey, that regulator is probably pushing referees on him. Like, hey, give this guy a chance. Give this guy a chance. Like, to me, like, these Fight Island cards, give them a, an early prelim fight. See how well they do. But it, it's just, you just hope that, to me, I think this has got to be about evolving and it's a teachable moment. And I just hope that Nevada will look at this and say, okay, what do we need to do? Obviously, it's it's not been a good pass for Chris Tyone of what do we do to move forward. So, look, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I don't know if there's anything else you want to hit on in, in terms of this topic or, or we can move on to the next one. Yeah, no, I mean, the guy has made big mistakes. And, uh, you know, Dana White is definitely not his biggest fan right now. You know, it's uh, very unfortunate, and that's why there's an appeal process. Mike is appealing his his loss um, because it should have ended in the first or second. I forget which round it was, but it should have ended when he was putting that combination on him. Uh, you know, Chris Tyone's in uh, tough water right now, and uh, I've seen him make plenty of good calls, but unfortunately you're not known for your good calls. You're known for your bad calls. Yeah, I want to find the uh, the tweet from our buddy uh, Tyson Chartier, of course, who is the manager of Mike Rodriguez. As uh, right after this Jessica Rose Clark uh, fight happened, he goes, "That fight has to help our appeal." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too. I was thinking that, like, when that happened, I'm like, if you're Mike Rodriguez, you're like, see, see, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's literally all you have to say is, look at. Um, how many other times is this going to happen or how many times before this did this happen? Um, you know, let's, let's change this and, uh, you know, it will get reversed. I don't see how that call won't. Yeah, it's uh, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, obviously uh, another storyline from Saturday night is really the future of two fighters, one being Tyron Woodley, the other being Donald Cerrone. Of course, they were the main event, co-main event. Woodley uh, ends up uh, a verbal submission. 
when he hurt his ribs in the fifth round of that fight. Um, you know, Woodley did say earlier today that he does not have any plans to retire, has no plans of changing his coaches. But I mean, this is, it's now three losses in a row and Pete, he hasn't won a round in any of these fights. Like the fight started. I thought he looked good for about the first two minutes. I was like, okay, we're seeing a little more aggressive T wood. And then it went back to the old same T wood. I, I, I think I even text you like, man, Woodley just loves having his back up against the cage, which to me, I would have thought that the game plan would be is, look, that's where Colby can shine. Let's yeah. not make this a clinch fight. Let's make this a fight at range. Stay in front of, of that black line that you see in the octagon. And I just, and then there was, I mean, after like those first three minutes, I just, there was never a moment. And if we go back to the previous two fights against Kamar Usman and Gilbert Burns, there was never a moment in either one of those fights that you thought he was going to turn around. And like, and for Woodley, I, I think it becomes this question mark when you're at of, of what he is in this sport. Yeah. Is it, you know, we see, you know, Daniel Cormier had the mindset of like, if I'm not fighting for titles, it just doesn't interest me. Now, you know, obviously Cormier is a couple years older, but not much that older. Then, then Tyron Woodley, I want to say, is 38 years old. Cormier's 41. So, I mean, there's a, a three-year age difference there. But, like, I look at it from Woodley and I just say is, like, I, I just don't see a path. I mean, I, I guess you could never count him out. I just don't see a path to a title, and especially the way he fights. Like, I hate to say it, Pete. I could see them feeding Tyron Woodley to Hamzat Shemaev. Yeah, I, I could see that happening, or I could see them doing uh, a cowboy against Shamaya, but that doesn't make much sense. I could see the Woodley because he was a former champion, and you know uh, they never really liked Woodley to begin with. Now Woodley's lost 15 straight rounds. That is absolutely insane. And uh, you know after his Kamar Usman fight, it was like, okay, well maybe he's going to be remotivated. I mean, he says all of the right things, Jason. Uh, he really does. He says all the right things leading up to the fight, saying about what he needs to do. He promises the fans he's going to let his hands go. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Then, you know, push comes to shove. Uh, he goes out there and it just does not happen. It's almost like a uh, stage fright, so to speak, or it's like, you know, Eminem when he's B rabbit and he forgets his words uh, on the stage. And, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know if Tyron's just, not made for the big moment anymore. I mean, it is very, very tough when you're under the lights expecting to perform against a high caliber athlete who's pushing your cardio and uh, challenging you. Um, I I don't know. I got a little nervous early when Tyron Woodley like ran to the center and then, you know, took the center of the octagon and looked like he was coming forward towards, uh, towards Colby Covington. And I'm like, Oh boy. That's a that's the that's the Tyron Woodley that I think could be Colby if he does that. And you know he starts throwing some combinations. He gets it overzealous, steps in on a on a jab cross. Colby Covington, beautiful double leg takedown, puts him right down. And I think that game plan just completely went out the window. And then the survival mode kicked in. And it's like okay, I'm going to just you know defend all these things, put my back against the cage. There was no like urgency to win rounds. And I think that's the that's the problem is when. If fighters lose, they lose. Okay, big deal. Okay, it's 
fighting at the, you know, it's, it's chess at the highest level. Okay. And you're going to have somebody winning, somebody losing, but effort and urgency are two things that I think you can really, um, place upon somebody and see, do they check those boxes? If they don't check those boxes, that's when I really think you should start looking towards retirement. Like if you look at Tyron Woodley, Cowboy Cerrone, Daniel Cormier, what was their effort in their in their recent patch of three fights or whatnot? Um, what about their urgency? Is there ever that that like kill mode, that urgent? I need to win a round. I'm down. Okay, like look at Jason. If you are down two rounds and you're going into the third and final round, if you don't go out there with a great effort, there's no other there's no other time you're going to be able to do that. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you need to be able to find that extra gear and that extra motivation and, and be able to go out there and just outperform everything that you've done to this point. And, uh, you know, you could start worrying about fighters uh, when they don't show those things. This is why I love doing the show with you. Cause you give a fighter's perspective. There's times where, um, you know, and I think it was even in going into that fifth round, Woodley's camp told him, like, look, you got to finish this dude. You're not winning a decision here. Yeah. You got to finish him. But, like, put yourself, obviously, since you're a fighter, you can discuss this better than anyone else can of, like, there's times where you watch a fight and you're just like, just throw. Come on. Just, yeah. just go win. But, like, how can you explain of not just, like, you know, sit there and just – chin up and just start flinging punches is, is there a way you can describe of why a fighter may not do that yeah so i think it's just being safe and you're fighting um you're fighting uh to not lose you're not fighting to win um and it's almost just like you're waiting for your opponent and then you're just answering what they do so it's not really like you're getting ahead it's like if you look at if you think about like a needle and it's you know they hit you and you just hit them back just a little bit more but they're edging you out the whole time and a lot of that comes down to you know maybe you take a shot from them and you had no respect to, of their power and you're like oh my god for some reason a lot of people find it extremely terrifying to get knocked out in front of everybody or and um you know that fear of getting knocked out or stopped or the pressure of I need to win so bad. I do not want to make a simple mistake or one mistake and help my opponent to capitalize. And next thing you know, I am losing. I mean, the stakes are very high in the UFC. So I think the pressure and just, and just worrying too much about what could happen is why you see fighters free so much. Um, you know, early on in my career, I mean, we've, I've had fights and I think everybody has a fight where you just didn't throw as much as you want. Um, I don't think I've ever thrown low volume, like Tyron Woodley ever in my life. That's just not my style. Um, but like for Tyron Woodley, I think that when he threw that, he started feeling good and then he threw those combinations and he got put on his butt with a double leg. It makes you gun shy and he's gun shy because He's afraid of getting put and controlled on the mat and exhausted and ground and pounded for the rest of the, the rest of the five rounds. You know what I'm saying? Um, Donald Cerrone maybe didn't want to throw too much because uh, when he throws, he's close enough for Nico Price to answer him, and he felt that Nico Price was humming everything from left field. So it, that's it's just worrying too much about your opponent, and it's so easy to say in a vacuum what you should and what you shouldn't do, but that's the reality of it. Is like you know, 
worrying about what your opponent does affects you way too much. And uh, that's another box. I'm glad you brought that up. That's another box that you got to check is just like worrying about your opponents more than you're worrying about what you're doing. And, uh, you know, that can definitely be detrimental to your uh, performance. Yeah, I've had so many fighters tell me about that of, you know, particularly, well, you know, more times when they lose as opposed to they win, they say, you know, that fight, I was just so in in tune with what my opponent wanted to do that I kind of forgot about what I'm good at. And, and yeah. you know, there's that, that, are you an offensive fighter or defensive fighter? I mean, I think there's, you know, there's got to be a good balance in between that of knowing, okay, this is what I need to do in this fight. But also, this is what to expect. I know that, hey, you know, he, he throws a, a, a overhand, you know, look out for the overhand. You mentioned about Donald Cerrone, and it was, you know, obviously, first off, I've never seen a fighter like Nico Price so happy the fight was a draw. I can never recall seeing a reaction from a fighter like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was a little odd, but it makes sense. I was talking to my dad about it today. And I think it's because Nico Price, you know, he talked about it all week of how he really idolizes Donald Cerrone. So he was fighting like his idol. And, uh, you know, it's the the third and final round happens. And you're like, oh, my God, I actually could have won this. And then, you know, at the end, you, it's a draw. And you're like, I didn't lose. So it means I, I, I like, competed really well of, of against, uh, against the guy that I hold in such high regard. You know, and I think of him as a legend. It's like, oh, my God, I just had a draw with Cowboy Cerrone. So I think it's like. He didn't get hurt. He put on a war in an entertaining fight. He's getting paid, um, you know, and uh, he showed that he belongs in the UFC. And, you know, as a guy that's a big, big fan of Cowboy Cerrone and a friend of Cowboy, you know, I actually really like Nico Price now, too. I really think that Nico Price, like, just on a personal level, I liked everything about him. I was like, man, this is so respectful, so nice. I I just like how he is, and uh, I'll be rooting for him moving forward for sure. You know, Dana White mentioned after the fights were over that it may be a time to have a talk with Donald Stroney. And then I watched that interview they had on the post-fight show. I watched it after the fact. And you see the a very emotional Donald Stroney. He's talking about his kids. And he to me, he came off as a fighter who's like someone who's been around for a long time and I, I don't think it's it's him trying to knock Nico Price, but he comes off in a way of if I can't beat this guy, where am I going from here? Um, you know, and maybe he needs to take six months, maybe he needs to take nine months off and kind of, you know, figure out what he wants to do. I don't by by no stretch do I think we've seen the last account of Donald Stroney. I think you'll see him back in the octagon at some point, but I think also like it's it, it, there's these moments where you you just feel like the fighter lets their guard down. They don't they don't think about that. There's a camera in front of them. There's a microphone in front of them, and what they're saying is live or being recorded or whatnot. And I just got the sense that Cerrone was kind of having this this moment of like, man, I didn't win this fight. You know, I thought it was a draw with, and, I, and I, look, I like Jason Herzog taking the point in the first round I, I, because Nico Price was not changing, you know, of, of curling his fingers in. They kept the stay out there, and I thought it was a great call on his part. But for me, I, I just felt it was a, a fighter in Cerrone who was sitting there going, man, this is a fight I should win. You know, he mentioned about how it was a great camp, everything was feeling good. But, you know, something we mentioned on Awesome last week of, you know, He's he's just becoming so hittable. 
And and that was the thing. I mean, look, the chin held up. I mean, he got he got hit with some massive shots in, in the opening round. But to me, it was just like the amount he was getting hit, I think, is probably the thing that would be most concerning to me if I'm in that inner inner circle of Donald Cerrone. Yeah, you know, um, you know, shout out to my boy Cowboy. Um, it was a it was a tough fight. It was a very tough fight, and early on, it did not look good for him. Um, I was very worried that he was going to get stopped. I know how tough he is and everything, but uh, I know Nico Price also hits really really hard. Now Nico Price is really aggressive, and if you think about what matchups kind of give Cowboy Cerrone some problems in his career, it's it's over aggressive fighters, and uh, Nico Price did that. I did like Cowboy in the fight, and I thought that when he went and when he goes, Jason, I, he does fine. It's just a matter of how many times does he pull the trigger. Um, you know, and he talked about, you know, it, him losing this fight, where is he at now? And I think that his self-realization and self-reflection is, is very sad, but it's, it's a nice thing because not many people are honest with themselves, and it seems like he is honest with himself. Um you know, he's lost to four of the top dogs in the division, Anthony Pettis, Conor McGregor, Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson, uh, and now Nico Price. But he has to realize that this is at 170 now. And Nico Price is, is a ranked opponent, in my opinion. He should be. Uh, he's right there. And, um, you know, at one time, you were a title challenger. And you are not that anymore. You're still one of the best fighters in the world. So don't really... I wouldn't really harp on who Nico is and how you should go out there and destroy him because it's, it's a weight class above what you dominated your whole career at 155. Yes, you have some wins at 170, but he looked better at 155 than ever before, um, I think. And I think he's slightly undersized for 170. But start to do some more self-reflection and looking on what needs to change because like, if I look at Tyron Woodley or Cowboy Cerrone – I'll I'll talk about Tyron Woodley. Let's let's let me just say this about Tyron Woodley. Um, you surround yourself with people that you're comfortable with, and the coaches that you know day in and day out, um, training partners you know day in and day out. We spoke about this last week. You have to go and fight and spar fighters you do not know. Um, sometimes it's good to get different looks or maybe a new coaching staff. And I you know searching for that coaching staff isn't always the number one thing to do because you're loyal to your coaches. But maybe you bring in some additional people that can light a fire or really just be completely honest with you. Because when I hear Duke Rufus tell him you need to get a finish and they're telling him, I mean, there's no urgency. There's nothing. It's almost like he's just lost out there. And I wonder if Cowboy is kind of like, I don't know, facing that same battle. I think that he does need to have different approaches for his for his career if he wants to continue competing at the high level. Um, you have to throw more, so you need to throw more in training. You know, it's it's simple. So I don't know. I don't know what's next. I hope Cowboy Cerrone uh, rebounds from this and uh, comes back, fights a couple more times, and uh, leaves out on top. You know, when we hear a corner say, you got to go out and get the stop, it's great to hear they're being honest with, like, look, you're losing this fight, you got to win. But also, it's like, okay, there's got to be some technical advice in there. Yeah. Here's how you do it. I, I think that's always kind of a question mark to me uh, of where you go from there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with there. Yeah. 
you, you I don't know. want like in my in my corner, right? I don't want a cheerleader. I don't want somebody to tell me like, you know, you're doing, you know, keep keep doing that. You're doing great, or you need to win, or you need to you need to get a finish. Like obviously, like I, I mean, sometimes you're you're caught in the moment, so you don't really know how the fight's going. So being honest with your fighter is huge. Like if my guy's down, you know, I'll, I'll say, look at man. We're down two rounds right now. I need you to work towards a finish. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take your two fists and punch him in the face as many times as possible. And sometimes simple things like that will will really click with a fighter. Not just we need a finish. Well, no, you know, no kidding. No kidding we need a finish. I've been on my back for four rounds. What do you want me to do? Uh, tell them how I want you to set up your right hand and I want you to do everything in your power to land that right hand. You need to finish that right hand's going to get you there, Tyron. Okay. Let's do whatever you can hit him as many times with that right hand, you know, give them some glimpse of hope or something that can be some positive way for them to, to really push forward. But you know, telling them we need to finish it's like you're just opening the door to like a you know a, you know what i mean like a huge building you need to give them direction some direction and uh i think that's what's missing in both camps to be honest yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there by the way hamza chamayev holy Ooh. cow yeah cowboy i don't want him fighting him i don't want tyron woodley fighting him uh hamza chamayev i think runs right through Dam- damian maya uh the guy's got good striking, overpowering grappling. The kid is for real. Let me see if you are on the same page with me. Okay. I want to see him at one weight class, not going in between the two. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. They're going to let him do whatever he wants and whoever accepts a fight. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for them to him to commit at, uh, to one weight class because nobody's going to want that fight. So it's going to be like, all right, I guess this time we're doing 70. This time we're doing 185. But – uh you know, talk but about a special talent. You know, there's going to come a point that the UFC is going to say, look, we want you to run a one weight class to me, make the run at 170 now. Yeah. And then, you know, if for some reason it doesn't go the way you think, then go up to 85. But like when you when you look at right now for what we've seen, I mean, he's likely going to be favored right now against a good portion of the top 15 at 170 or 185. I mean, obviously there will come a point at 170 where he may not be there, but man, I mean, you know, he talked, you know, he showed off his striking, just a beautiful right hand straight to the jaw. I mean, he didn't have to throw another punch. The fight was over. Um, yeah. Just, just a beautiful win. And like, it's a point now you look at, at Damian Maya fight and like, he's going to be a massive betting favorite if that's the route they go, I know as of last week, that fight was not official. It sounded like um, Damian Maya had not agreed to it yet. So, you know, how much that's, that's a financial component. And if you're Damian Maya, you're, you're the end of your career. Is that is is that a fight that interests you? I mean, it's right now, from what we've seen, Chemayev is the real deal. And, and I think the big thing for the UFC is, can you get the casual sports fan interested in this kid. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Damian Maya. And real quick, I'll touch on a, a matchup that I think is very good. And I think it'd be Damian Maya against Donald Cerrone. Kind of two crossroads fighters fighting mm-hmm. each other. Um, 
And the reason I think that is because I think Cowboy needs to stop fighting strikers, even though he is a striker. Cowboy needs to fight grapplers or guys that have more of a grappling base. He can nullify the takedown threat and be the better striker in the matchup. Now, the Damian Maya fight, I think, would make a lot of sense. Now, Chemayev is going to become a household name if he's not already. Hamza Chemayev is the real deal. Um, that one right hand to Gerald Mearshart really just ended his night so quick, 17 seconds. It was insane. Um, the guy has it all. And uh, I think he can make a big run at 170. When we saw his first, maybe his second fight, I was talking to my coach Greg Rubello about it. He's like, yep, kid's going to be a champion in two years. So I honestly, I honestly think that's possible. I, I really do. Um, you know, at 170, who, okay, let me, let me pose this question to you. Do you think Hamza Shemaev has a harder time with Kamaru Usman or Israel Adesanya? Adesanya. I would agree. I would agree. Ansari has very underrated takedown defense. Very underrated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that camp is nasty. That camp is good. Uh, I'm excited for that fight. I, I would agree with you, and I think it's just stylistically like Hamzat would be the bigger guy against Kamaru, um, I think. And, uh, you know, probably the more aggressive. It'd be a big test. I'm not sure who would win in that situation, but uh, I would definitely be interested in that. Yeah, I mean, Chemayev's going to get a very noble fight here it, you, sooner rather than later. Uh, i got to mention that our technique of the week we, we talked about on Live Before Lock on Saturday. Uh, if there was a betting line on Randy Costa <laughs> through a head kick, it was about minus one million because anyone who knows Randy, they, they know how much Randy loves the head kicks and uh, goes out there. And, man, uh, Randy made us look very smart on Saturday. Thank you, Randy. Yeah, uh, Randy, great job, great performance. Congratulations. I was super happy to see that. Uh, you know, Coach Greg has been working with him a lot. Uh, not really this camp. Randy went down to American Top Team and uh, came back because of the quarantine, and uh, he looked really good. He looked really, really good against Journey Newson, who is a you know decent striker and has a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, and Randy Costa, his strength is head kicks, and it's not like he just hums head kicks up there and, you know, he gets lucky. He sets them up beautifully. And I would like to compare what Randy Costa does to what Cowboy Cerrone did early on in his career. And they touched on it on the broadcast, but it's very, very similar. So if I'm a fighter and I throw my backhand a lot, my cross a lot, and I notice that your reaction is to slip that cross, well, I will sometimes, and I do this a lot, I will chain my hand with my leg light, uh, right behind it. So I'll throw my straight as you slip, and guess what? You slip right into my round kick as my round kick is coming behind. And nobody sees it coming because you're blinding them. So like for me, in, my, in all of my fights and everything, I love setting up head kicks as well. Now, anytime you extend a hand or a fist, and then next thing you know, you're able to pick your leg up and surprise him with a kick. It's very, very effective. It's very different than if I threw my jab and then threw my round kick, whereas if I threw my hand and had my round kick slightly coming, it's very sneaky. We talked about how sneaky it is. And um, you're starting to see more people get creative, and creativity in the octagon or, or you know, under the lights anywhere is where you see spectacular things. 
And uh, Randy Costa set that up with a beautiful left cross followed by a left high kick, and uh, it was money. Journey Newsom backed up, hands slightly low, caught it on the chin, KO, almost reminiscent to uh, Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie. It was a beautiful, beautiful KO, and, uh, you know, SportsCenter was even talking about it. It made me happy. Yeah, and a uh, great win for him. Uh, you know, a guy that's still, you know, still a developing fighter. You know, very young. You mentioned about now uh, doing some work down at American Top Team along with the work up there with Greg up there in the Northeast. So, uh, yeah, he is uh, – yeah, to say he loves the head kicks is very underestimated. Anyone who's ever talked to Randy, he'll let you know. He 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 loves head kicks like he loves his family. <laughs> that's yeah. about, I think that's about the best way uh, to put it there. But, of course, you, you mentioned about this weekend. We're all excited for UFC 253. we got two title fights, vacant light heavyweight title on the line. Also, the main event, uh, the middleweight matchup that uh, we've been waiting for, Israel Adesanya. Taking on Paulo Costa, uh, I'm still just amazed. Paulo Costa can make 185 pounds. Yeah. Um, you know this is this is a fight that I'm really interested. Is if it hits the championship rounds, what is Paulo Costa going to have in the gas tank? That to me is kind of like this this chess battle between the two guys uh, of. You know, and also like you know, Paulo Costa wants to be an aggressive guy. He wants to throw these big bombs. Is will Adesanya be able to kind of use his athleticism and, and his quick shifts to kind of basically essentially wear out Paulo Costa for him maybe hunting for the knockout? Yeah, I mean, two hundred feet of guys. You talk about a guy in Paulo Costa who looks like a an action figure. I mean, the guy looks incredible. Thirteen and zero has crazy knockout power. Israel Adesanya is nineteen and zero. Um, one of the most dynamic strikers you ever see. I've been following him from his his kickboxing career. And, uh, I mean, in the UFC, as long as he's able to defend takedowns, I knew that he'd have some success. I'll admit to you that I didn't know he'd have quite this much success. Um, but this is a very interesting matchup. I mean, Adesanya is such a big guy. And I don't think people realize how how big Adesanya is. I mean, 6'4", 80-inch reach advantage against Paulo Costa, who comes in at 6'1", 72-inch reach advantage. So, Eight inch reach advantage. That is crazy. And uh, Paulo Costa is going to have to get inside that reach. And, you know, he knows that. That's the game plan is get in tight and make it ugly. And if he's able to do that, I do think that he has the power to knock out anybody. So I saw Kelvin Gastelum hit uh, Israel Adesanya quite a bit. What happens if Paulo Costa touches your face? Oh boy, or your body. Man, it could be lights out. So I'm very, very excited. But the gas tank issue of Paulo Costa, uh, the war with Yoel Romero. Um, you know, I do think that Adesanya could just slip and rip all night, and uh, Paulo Costa will be throwing and hoping. And uh, well, I'm excited for the matchup. I really can't wait. Someone brought up a really good point to me uh, the other day. Is if you look at Paulo Costa, this is not an active fighter. That yeah. the UFC may be hoping he doesn't win. And, and just kind of note this. So he beat Johnny Hendricks November 4th, 2017. He's only had two fights since then. July 7th, 2018. August 17th, 2019. And now September 26th, 2020. So I could see that point of if the UFC, they may not be as excited if Paul Acosta is their champion because this guy hasn't been active in three plus years in terms of multiple fights in a year. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're the UFC, you want Chimaev, you want to like duplicate Chimaev's everywhere. You want your your champions to be active. I I think the sport is so much more interesting when when champions are active and are actively defending their belts and not winning it and then just sitting on the sidelines and trying to really just uh, admire their work. And I think that's what could happen with Paulo Costa, whereas Israel Adesanya has been relatively active, Jason. I mean, the guy has been fighting quite a bit. Uh, this will be the second fight in 2020. He had three in 2019, uh, four in 2018. Man, I mean... He's been on a roll since he made it into the UFC, and uh, I think the UFC really like him, and they want to—I think they want to keep him there. But you know, they know at this point in Adesanya's career, like this is the toughest challenge he'll face, so it's a very risky, risky fight. Yeah, I'm interested to see uh, how many people favor. Jan Blachowicz to pull the upset off in the co-main event. I don't see it. Um, it that that fight just it just screams. Um, you know, Dominic Reyes. I'll tell you the fight on the main card that I'm actually really intrigued by: Kai Car France versus Brand Royval. Yeah, I, I've been a fan of Kai Car France ever since he was on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Brandon Royval, very talented uh, fighter, very talented grappler. I picked Tim Elliott over him, and that did not work out too well. Tim Elliott really just kind of, um, you know, ran out of gas, so to speak. And then Brandon Royville so, so slick that he can submit anybody and comes from a great gym, Factory X. I think Kai Car France has the experience edge here. Hits like a Mack truck and uh, has quite a few knockouts for the 125-pound division. I just look at the betting odds. Yeah. Jake Matthews. Is a seven and a half to one betting favorite against Diego Sanchez. As much as the crazy stuff we hear out of Diego Sanchez's camp, like I, I don't know if that says more about what the people who set the betting lines think of Diego Sanchez at this point. So I just looked at. It. By the way, Diego Sanchez was nearly a four to one betting underdog when this fight uh, got posted to, for the betting lines. He's now been bet all the way up to five plus five twenty five. Matthews was a minus five twenty and has bet bet down to to minus seven fifty. Um, you know that that's gonna be that that's a you know well, boy we do the uh, MMA strategy what? show. <laughs> we we know just by betting those odds we know that Jake Matthews is gonna be the most expensive fighter uh, on this slate. So it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, how well he does there. Um, anything else stick out to you about this card that uh, you know really intrigues you? Uh, you know, the whole card is interesting to me. Um, I, I do think that I'm most excited for the main event. And then I'm really excited to see uh, Brad Riddell again. Uh, I think Brad Riddell, coming from the same camp of Adesanya, we've seen fireworks. And he is so, so talented when it comes to striking. I mean, his fight against uh, Magomed Mustafa was a, was a banger. A split decision. But that fight was one of the most insane fights you'll ever see. And... I'm very looking forward to that 155-pound fight. Looks like it's a good card, man. Uh, and uh, you know, William Knight from New England's going to be on that on that card fighting uh, against Alexa Kamer, who is uh, Stepe Miocic's little pupil. And uh, we'll have to see how uh, how Knight handles the uh, the big step up in competition. Plus the big length, you know. Yeah. In terms of that fight, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, William is not a tall. 
a 205 pounder and uh do not ask him about going to middleweight okay i'm just going to tell people don't ask him he's not going to middleweight folks <laughs> he's a big boy you know this is you know he lost he's i want to say he was over 300 pounds at one point yeah and, and now he's down to what he is of course this starts a five-week run at fight island so hopefully uh the covet issues that uh, the ufc has in vegas hopefully that does not uh return we, di- we didn't see those issues the first time they were at fight island so we'll see what happens in, in terms of that one? So, uh, you know, looking forward to watching these fights come up here on Saturday night. Always uh, think I'm going to go to a buddy's house and because uh, the Bucks we play uh, Sunday afternoon um, in Denver. Um, but uh, we're right now doing the radio broadcast from here in Tampa for the road game. So uh, I don't got to be at the stadium until noon on Saturday. Nice. So nice. Uh, I could kind of uh, sit back, relax, and. Uh, you know, I know, I know you're not partaking too much in the cocktails right now because of, of you know, trying to cut that weight down, but uh, I'll partake for you. <laughs> Please do. Please have a couple for me. Uh, yeah, it's cool, man. Uh, we have so many sports back right now. It is insane. Um, crazy. Well, we got a game on tonight, too. Interesting. Yeah, Lightning are playing right now, too. We got NFL going on. You know, hopefully Lightning play a little better than they did Saturday night. Oof. That was a little rough. That was that was rough. That was that was not a good one. But uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, I would say it was interesting in the stadium yesterday before the game with no fans because uh, it was our first home yeah. game. Week one, we were in New Orleans, but we were calling the game here from from Tampa. Um, I, I will tell you, it was just it was weird. It was weird. No fans. Did you see your boy Brett Favre? Brett Favre was there. I didn't see it, but I saw the video of it. I didn't see. You know, like, the thing is, like I'm so like in tune with what I'm doing. Like, yeah, I, I, a lot of that stuff I don't see till like after the fact, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I saw some, I saw some, uh, I saw some NFL players. I, I don't know if it was a member of the, the bucks that were like, how is he there? And my family can't be there. I'm like, Oh boy. Oh boy. Here we go. Yeah. That was Ryan Jensen. Who's we that? Who's our starting center. Yeah. He's yeah, got it's... a point. He's got a point. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, it's, um, you know, I would tell you that just as a, from a, from what I do from the broadcasting aspect, the one thing that I will tell you is that you hear so much more of the on the field chatter, which really oh, makes it interesting. I, I, someone was telling me, I didn't hear it, but so apparently Aaron Rodgers after week one went back and watched the TV broadcast and apparently a lot of his audible calls are not safe for work. Oh, and really? so, and so he realized that man, you can hear all this stuff. So he's had to change his audible calls. Oh boy, that's cool. That's cool. See, I like, I actually like the fights without the fans because it's like more pure. If you want to think about it, like it's like you hear everything. You hear the coaches. Like I don't care about the fans unless I'm there. And then you, you know, when you see something happen, you want to scream and or go crazy. But like from a watching it on TV perspective, it makes no difference to me if I see people in the crowd freaking out over a KO. I would much rather hear the corners or hear the communication, you know, back and forth while the guys are fighting. I, I Maybe that's the hardcore fan in me. I would tell you it was weird because I saw um, NBA and TNT put, they had, I don't know if it was someone ro- rolling on a cell phone camera on the sidelines or just one of their cameramen. And they show the Anthony Davis game-winning three-pointer last night. And so it's no commentary. It's just literally the environment. And it just sounded weird. Because, like, you think about, like, if you hit a game-winning three 
in the in the Western Conference Finals and you're at home, that crowd would be going absolutely insane. And and basically okay. all you hear is is the Laker players. And, and so it's it's I, I just I, I can just speak at it from from what I do in broadcasting of um th- now doing two games this way is you just hear so much chatter and, and I think what's going to be really interesting to kind of see is since you're hearing so much of this chatter that people are going to start uh, especially opposing defensive coordinators and defensive coaches are going to say here's what they're barking out and especially when they're calling audibles it, it's just fascinating in terms of MA you do get to hear a little bit more of the coaching which is always kind of interesting. And one of the things I've also seen is you've seen coaches adjust to this as well, especially in between the rounds where like they're right up on the fighter's ear or they're doing something to try to make yeah. it known where you can't really hear exactly what they're saying. Yeah. 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 You, you don't want to tell your opponent what you're going to do. And you see the coaches almost like whispering, like imagine, I can't imagine sitting on a stool and my coach, my coaches start whispering, like, what the heck you doing? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know, it might be a little weird, but, uh, you know, I get it. And that's why you got the Mark Henry system of code words. You make, you make some code words and, uh, you know, a jab is something else. A jab is alpha or something. And, you know, unless you go to the well so much, your opponent won't really know. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, then I, I will end on this. I don't know. I know. I mean, I know, uh, it's probably a, a sore thought in your mouth of Kansas city. How about the uh. kicker? Hitting three kicks in a row. The first two don't count because of uh, the penalty and the timeout. And then all three of them pretty much dead down the middle from 53 and 58 yards. That guy's got ice in his veins. That that kid, man, what what a kicker. And, uh, you know, I was so, so happy that my Chargers were killing it. And, um, you know, we put up a really good fight. Our rookie looked really good. Herbert looked really good. Uh, and Tyra Taylor getting – late scratch because of uh, some chest issues or something something weird but um i thought we put up a good fight and i think that we showed that our defense is no joke um i think a lot of people were writing off our team this year and uh, anybody that listened to me i said chargers defense is going to be legit this year <laughs> and uh you know we look pretty damn good so i was happy with the performance you know i was kind of going into that game thinking we were going to get smoked anyway so it was a pleasant surprise yeah, we play the Chargers here in Tampa in uh, two weeks. Oh, boy. That's going to be a nice game for us. I can't yeah. wait. We go uh, – it's October 4th, and then uh, four days later, we're in Chicago to play the Bears on Thursday Night Football. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's football season, man. It's uh, it's an exciting time of the year. I mean, there's so much so much sports to take in. You know, MLB yeah. the season ends on Sunday, so getting right into the playoffs there. Obviously, the NBA is in the conference finals. The NHL is in the is in the Stanley Cup finals. So, so much to take into. But of course, uh, we are looking forward to MMA this week. And also, reminder: uh, Bellator's got an event on Saturday over in Milan. Uh, Edwards and Vancinas are going to be the main event there. That's a nice little matchup there. So you definitely got to check that out as well. Of course, uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if you're not subscribed there. Uh, We do try to get a podcast out every Monday. Also, the show is available. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So be sure to check it out there. Of course, get, be sure to give Pete a follow on Twitter at Pete the Heat MMA. Of course, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Jason underscore Foy. That's also our handles on Instagram as well. So be sure to check out check us out on social media. And of course, if you ever have a question for one of us, just hit us up on social media. We will get back to you. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Fight HQ Podcast.